This is Radio Romania International. You are listening to our one-hour broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa. We can also be heard on the internet at www.ri.ro, Channel 1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and other social media platforms. Our programs are also available on TuneIn, Radio Romania International 1, and in Europe via satellite Utilsat 16A on 11,512 MHz, vertical polarization, azimuth 16 degrees east. We wish you good reception conditions. bringing you the news. First, the headlines. Prime Minister Marcel Ciolacu says that Austria has a more flexible position in relation to the Schengen area and agrees with the lifting of air borders for Romania. The leaders of the ruling coalition in Bucharest are analyzing the draft budget for next year. More than 142,000 Ukrainian refugees have found shelter in Romania, according to data from the Eurostat and 3 degrees Celsius in Bucharest at noon. The leaders of the ruling coalition in Bucharest are analyzing today in a meeting the next year's draft budget. The meeting has been preceded by talks between the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister on the topic of a government order regarding some fiscal budgetary provisions for next year. According to official sources, the Prime Minister wants the draft budget to be made public on Monday and to be submitted to Parliament for debate on Thursday. The deadline for adoption is December 22nd. According to Prime Minister Marcel Ciolacu, in 2024, budget will focus on investments while education will receive the biggest allocations so far. Eight of the nine Romanian citizens and their family members evacuated from the Gaza Strip on December 7th arrived in Romania today, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has reported. The group was evacuated to Egypt through the Rafah crossing and was taken over by representatives of the Romanian embassy in this country. The action was the result of the efforts of the crisis cell through the Romanian embassy in Cairo and the Romanian representation office in Ramallah. 288 Romanian citizens and their family members have been evacuated from the Gaza Strip so far. Prime Minister Marcel Ciolacu has announced that Austria has a more flexible position as regards the Schengen area and agrees with air borders to be lifted for Romania. In a Facebook post on Saturday, Ciolacu explained that this meant that Romanians would no longer stay in endless queues when traveling by plane inside the European Union. He added that Interior Minister Catalin Bredoiu has been tasked with continuing negotiations with his Austrian counterpart. Senate Speaker Nicolae Ciucă said in turn that Romania's prospective Schengen area accession is the result of the cooperation of all political forces in the country. He hailed the Austrian authorities' recent flexibility on this matter and said that a decision is expected at the Justice and Home Affairs Council at the end of the month. According to Austrian public radio and television cited by the local press, 
checks at the air border could be lifted if certain conditions are met, such as tripling the number of operations undertaken by Bulgaria in the European Border Police Agency Frontex and more thorough checks at the Romanian-Bulgarian and Hungarian-Romanian borders. At the end of October, over 4,200,000 Ukrainian refugees were on the European Union territory at the end of the month, benefiting temporary protection. Most of them, over 1,200,000, live in Germany, and there are over 960,000 in Poland. More than 142,000 Ukrainian refugees have found shelter in Romania, according to data from the Eurostat. The temporary protection offers the right of residence, access to the labor market and housing, medical and social assistance, and guarantees access to education for children. And that was the news. Now for a brief announcement about Radio Romania International's annual survey of its listeners and internet and social media users to find out the 2023 Personality of the Year. And this has been no easy year, with Russia's war in Ukraine continuing, energy prices rocketing, many parts of the world suffering food shortages, and, not least, with global warming, causing what was probably the hottest year on record. On top of all this came the conflict between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. In this difficult year, which international public figure, in your opinion, has had the strongest positive impact on the world, and why? Radio Romania International will designate its Personality of the Year based on your nominations, which you can submit together with a short justification by posting directly on our website in a comment to this article at www.rri.ro, by email at engl at rri.ro, on our Facebook page, on Instagram, WhatsApp at 0040-744-312-650, text or audio, or by fax at 0040-21319-0562. We will announce the Radio Romania International Personality of the Year on air and online on Monday, the 1st of January 2024. We are looking forward to receiving your nominations, so please get in touch. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Sunday show. Hello and welcome to a new edition of Sunday Show with me, Diana Petrescu. In six months' time, between the 6th and 9th of June 2024, European citizens will be called upon to vote in the European elections in order to elect their representatives in the European Parliament. That is why we've invited MEPs and experts to a debate on European issues at the European Parliament in Brussels as part of the EU plus EU 2024 and beyond project to take a look back at the big challenges and achievements of this legislature. We bring you today the first part of this debate held in Brussels in late November. Hello 
everyone. Welcome to a roundup debate as part of the EU plus EU 2024 and beyond project co-financed by the European Parliament. My name is Diana Petrescu. I will be your host today and I have with me distinguished guests. I'm delighted to welcome today Mrs. Mercedes Bresso, MEP, Group of Progressive Alliance of Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. Hello, thanks Hello. for uh, accepting our invitation. Mr. Nicolae Stefanuz, MEP, Group of the Greens, European Free Alliance, Romania. Hello, thanks for joining us. Hello. Uh, Miss Olivia Serra Calvo, President of the European Student Think Tank, who focuses in her research activity and not only on human rights, children's rights, international security and European affairs. Hello, thanks for your participation. Thank you for inviting me. And Mrs. Elzbieta Bienkowska, former Polish European Commissioner for the Single Market, Industry, Entrepreneurship and SMEs, Chair of the Center for European Policy Studies Board. Chairwoman. The, yes, actually <laughs> the first woman to hold this position. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much. 2023 has turned out to be another year of um, unprecedented challenges for the European legislature, which has had an atypical term in office anyway. It had to deal with Brexit, the number of uh, MEPs has changed, the president of the European Parliament, the charismatic David Sassoli, passed away, the Covid pandemic changed uh, people's lives and took its toll on the EU economy, then the war in Ukraine rocked the continent after almost 80 years of peace in Europe. Europeans have weathered an energy crisis, ensued by a food crisis, and we are now looking at the latest developments in Gaza Strip. Now with the finish line of this legislature in sight, what have been, in your opinion, the biggest challenges the EU had to cope with? And has the EU risen up to the expectations? I think it's obvious that the biggest challenges or the biggest crisis this legislature had was COVID and the war. Of course, nobody expected those two. So that's why probably the work of the parliament and the commission would be much smoother without those two. But on the other hand, from this grew something very special. Because, for example, the new generation EU was born, which means that Europe had a common loan. It is important, as we discuss the future, of the European Union. This is something which really changed completely the way member states think about Europe because they need to pay the loan. It's like a mortgage in marriage, you know, it really links uh, very strongly. So this is something very important. And I think, of course, beside COVID and war in Ukraine, which is also connected with the thinking of a security and defense at the European Union level, which really started a little bit during Juncker mandate when I was a commissioner with a European Defense Fund. But of course, now we see how important it is to think about the European security and discuss it between European Union member states, although they are also members of NATO. It is important, but you know, being stronger in defense in Europe makes NATO stronger. We need to rely also partly on ourselves. And of course, probably we'll discuss it, the Green Deal, the big, big legislation, which was probably the main, if not COVID, and if not war in Ukraine. Ms. Bresso? I think uh, the main problem of this legislature, we're sure, starting with COVID and after the two war for the first time with real war in Europe and also since a lot of time we did a so complex situation war in in the Mediterranean area so these are sure the main problem both 
not solved, uh, we discovered and uh, realized that Europe has not uh, yet the instrument to intervene. We need competencies uh, and capacities to act if we want to have a role in the future of our continent, because we are speaking about our continent, not about uh, the rest of the world. This uh, demand uh, a reflection about uh, the actual treaties and uh, their change, and this is uh, what we did uh, the last week. Uh, it was not a big majority, this was a pity, but I think that uh, this depends more from the differences between the different states than to the idea that we have to change. So I think that the convention or another way to discuss uh, together how to change and to avoid that a small group will go ahead. The idea is to discuss and to find a way to change, to have in Europe able to decide and to protect their citizens. And this means, first of all, security and defense and foreign policy. Common strong defense and security policy means also other competencies in different fields, because we have also to protect our citizens. So more social policy to finish the Green Deal and to protect our activities, our industries, our agriculture. So the strategic compass for Europe, that means the possibility to have all the... the we always the, need more than the, good intentions. Yes, we want, yes. We need, we, need, we need to be able to produce need. all we need, the important product, with all the phases of production, not just the last phases importing the first, because in this way we are not secure to have what we need for the future. This is true also for agriculture, so for the strategic and essential possibility to guarantee food to all our Europeans. The fundamental subject was the Green Deal. The Green Deal is a way to keep again Europe on the front line of environmental policies because we lost a lot of time and spaces so we need to come back. Europe is coming back with the Green Deal. Also in this case probably we have done some error mistakes and so we have some difficulties but this we can affront in the next legislature but if we finish the global work about the Green Deal we can tell Europe is here and Europe is a leader in the green transformation. We need also on digital transformation. This is another point on which we are very late and we have to accelerate our capacity to act. The European Union, along with other major world economies, has embarked on a quest to adapt to climate change uh, yes. and to ensure uh, yes. uh, more yes. rational use of uh, the planet's resources. For this to succeed and for the EU to thrive throughout the process, the blocks in Industries need to be able to rely on a workforce that is fit for the purpose, equipped with the right expertise. Do you think is this requirement likely to produce major changes on the job market? Yes, we need uh, big changes in the job market, and this is uh, another uh, very fundamental point of uh, activity for the future of the European Union. We need to uh, train our uh, young people and also all the workers on the two aspects of uh, fundamental changes for the future. 
one is digital, digital economy, so we are a bit late in digital economy, we have to recuperate a capacity to act, but we need very important training of all our workers on digital and also on green technologies, because otherwise we not have people with us. We need to have people and company with us. It's not only a green deal, it's a great challenge. This challenge is important and can be successful if we have all people with us and they need formation to be able to accept the change, to be able to have more for them, not less. And this, I think, is perhaps something we lost in this legislature to do with our citizens, to explain better how is important these two changes for their future and for the future of young people in Europe. Otherwise, if we lost capacity of being competitive, we lost the future for our young people. And so this is, I think, very important to discuss with our citizens in the electoral campaign we will have and to explain how is important what you have done and how is important to have them on board with us. Ms. Calvo, do you think that teenagers <laughs> and young adults feel adequately prepared to participate in the green economy? Not really. I think we are we're working towards there and like we the EU is giving a lot of resources in that matter to build on the skills, especially digital skills that are very necessary for this new economy that uh, we're going towards. But of course, there still needs work needs to be done in, in that situation and the different trainings or education has to be also adapted for that purpose. So yeah, indeed, there's still work to do. But I think also as young generations, we are also trying to learn by on our side, by ourselves, by teaching ourselves through different platforms online or being part of organizations like the one I'm presiding. So this is also a way of learning in a non-formal way. So it's, yeah, it's a bit this way, I guess, how we are trying to make it work. Mr. Stefanuzzo, in your view, what have been the big challenges and also the big achievements? I'll start with the latter because I think we have not seen that underneath the surface, our youth is going through a crisis, crisis of several kinds economic in terms of opportunities. There's a famous report called Poorer Than Your Parents. I have the impression that young people feel they lack some of the opportunities other generations have had, even though perhaps other generations feel they had it hard. But definitely the pandemic has hit the youth very hard. There's a rampage of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, etc. in very young ages. Anxiety about the climate, anxiety about the economic future, anxiety about the war. It's not an easy planet out there, is it? I mean, uh, I have a three-year-old daughter and I'm also thinking a bit anxiously about her future and what kind of future we live for them. When we speak about 2050, for instance, if we speak about the Green Deal and our goals, that means the time when my daughter will be 30. That's very soon, actually. Mm -hmm. It's just within a generation. It's very soon. And 2100, when we speak about global warming by two degrees, it's when she'll be 80. It's soon. That's why the youth and the future of Europe with the youth is one of the main concerns. If you ask me backwards what we have done Certainly we have done good things, I think. The Green Deal was a good thing, a necessary thing. It's also an economic policy for the future in which we say we will be more sustainable and we get prepared and we put funds on the table. So it's a complete plan. It's not just an ecological plan, it's a complete yeah. plan. What have been your flagship initiatives? My flagship initiatives, I cared a lot about health. I'm glad that this parliament gave a health policy for the union. And secondly, I fight for Erasmus. I have a program called Erasmus Equality, which strives to bring Erasmus scholarships 
higher. Why? Because right now it's only kids of rich families who get to go. It's starting to become an elite project and we cannot afford as a European Union that our most cherished and our most successful project becomes an elite project. I talk to many young people and they say we cannot afford, you know, with 500, 600 euro a month, we cannot afford to live in Paris, in Milan, in even Warsaw or Bucharest, you know, these are not cheap cities anymore. So bringing the level of scholarships up so that every single child, no matter what kind of background from their family, that they can go, it's one of my biggest goals. Also an initiative, it's not just a goal. Maybe that's why the buzzword nowadays is resilience. And resilience also means stability. And stability translates in many forms. We should educate our young people. We should uh, eliminate inequalities if you want. This is how resilience you Resilience is one thing, but when you have a number of big existential dangers, that's another thing. I mean, you can be all the resilient you want, but when the world is burning right and left, it's not as easy to be resilient. So we have to play our part intergenerationally, try to leave things perhaps more predictable, more calmer, try to think about tomorrow. What are your fears, your expectations, your hopes for tomorrow? My greatest fear, and Ms. Sergebieta Bienkowska and also Mercedes said it very well, that uh, foreign policy, I think, has been stuck in time a bit. We have not had enough courage to bring a more common foreign policy. I was thinking 1993, we had the Yugoslav Wars, 2013, Maidan and Ukraine and Crimea, and now 2023, Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, and yet, the European Union is kind of similar to what it was in 1993 when I remember the Italian foreign minister, is it De Angelis, I don't remember the name, was trying to negotiate a deal in the Balkans. We are kind of in the same position where we have a power, because these are our neighbors, but our power is not that great because we don't have the instruments, we don't have the unity. It's a bit frustrating, it's been 30 years. Steps should still be made, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But this is a fundamental question for the EU, what we want to be. Everybody's talking because this is the moment in time about the enlargement, not only about Ukraine, but also Western Balkans. But European Union will not work as it works, even now with the smuggling through the subject, with a 30-something member states. It will be institution or organization which will not be able to work properly and to react actively on different challenges, because, of course, we are talking about stability, we are talking about war in Europe and other wars which is just around the corner, but we also need to think, if we are thinking about the future, about Europe, okay, it's a word, competitiveness. We are living in the really very difficult and changing times and of course everybody says it's probably for the generations but these are really like earthquake time globally. This is a time when we need to decide whether we want to be strong unified or we want to just in some parts of the a single market but single market maybe two or three five member states use the single market as it should be used. We want to be unified or we want to be separated. We need really answer this next question. And I know it's difficult in different member states, probably that's why also the, the voting was as it was, but because some internal political reasons and people are afraid sometimes in different member states. But of course we need to educate people that we will not solve this in one year time. It will take years, but we need, after the conference on the future of Europe, we need desperately to find an answer to the question 
whether we want to be unified. Because yes. if we are not, we really do not count on the global stage. It's very visible. I yes. saw it as I was dealing with the single market. You know, we have a countries from 90 million Germany to half million Malta. None of them, even Germany, with this huge economy in industry and this population, does not count on the global stage if it's alone, if it's not backed by this big, really, organism, big organization of the European Union. Yeah. And I know, again, it's a never-ending story and still constant question about how to really reach out to the people and how to tell them that this, what is happening here in this city, is important to them, you know? Because in the electoral campaign for the European Parliament, people think that European MEPs will give them a road or whatever. This is much more broader picture, but on the other hand, here are the resolutions or here are the topics that really will touch their lives, will touch the lives of their children. Really, you know, migration, war, stability, economy, where we will work, how we will teach our students, how we will heal, how our health policy will look. Again, maybe unfortunately, but fortunately, we started to discuss the health policy at the European level because of COVID. If not, probably we will again discuss it for years. Now with COVID and with the vaccines, it was much faster and much more achievable to the member states to get the vaccines. So these are really fundamental questions. They are then divided into the smaller ones. You know, when we talk about the education, again, we've been talking about this for years, how to link the industry or the need of the industry with the education, with the educational institutions, with the universities, with the schools, how to link them, how to link them. And this link must happen at the regional level, more local, better, not at the European level. Because, you know, in Romania, in Craiova, you have industry. So there, this industry will be digitalized, whether we want it or not, because the world is changing. So how to find the people who are really fit for this industry in this relatively small region of Craiova on the map of the European Union? So these are the, really the questions which needed to be answered. And I think the education, 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 you know. I was once asked, what is the most important? This, this, I said, educating people, different ages. <laughs> A good example of solidarity was, I think, in the field of energy. Mm. And a good example, I think, is Repower Again, India. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Again, outstanding. united, united yeah, yes. Europe, not, yeah, exactly. not divided. But is the EU immune to further shocks? <coughs> it's not, of course, it's no. not. It's not, but we are broke. We don't have money, and that's a big problem. Because if we have other shocks, we already planned for, I'm speaking now, I was a budget rapporteur in this house last year, for 2023. And uh, this year, we only had 1 billion euros in reserves. 1 billion. People imagine the European Union has countless money and it can always answer to any possible crisis. And when we planned this budget in 2020, there was no pandemic, no war, no inflation, no energy crisis, no Ukraine and Russia. And we deal with the same money before five different crises. So to your question, if we are ready for another crisis, we are not ready for another crisis. And actually, we should talk about this seriously in the next election, because now we are revising the seven-year budget in the so-called MFF. We should really talk about and tell the member states, look, if you don't give us the means, if we don't give each other the means, give ourselves the means, you will destroy the European Union. It's as easy as that, because once you are in a situation to not be able to answer to a crisis, 
citizens will lose faith. When Bergamo happened with the yeah. pandemic, we had zero money for crisis, zero. And we had to watch people being put in trucks, dead from the hospital, until we looked for means, etc., and we could respond. But for a moment, the European Union looked weak for the citizen, and we cannot afford this. The question of resources is very important. Is another one on the plate. It's exactly yes, the other side of the coin. <laughs> yes, because we can't imagine to have more competencies without more money, more money. and the money can be decided with the limit clearly established, but decided by the European Union itself, the two legislators, the Parliament and the Council. I think it's clear for us, not for all all our colleagues, that without a change of the structure, fundamental structure of the European Union, we can't go ahead, not the enlargement, because the enlargement, yeah. the absolute necessity of a different way to take decision. So now we will see if the European Council will decide. I think that the Council will pass the decision of the Parliament, because it's a decision to ask for a new convention, if they decided the European Council, not to go ahead with the idea of a convention, they have to propose something else because we can't stay here. This is the problem. It's not a convention, this is the instrument in the treaty to change the European Union. But we can open a discussion about our proposal, perhaps also before to start a convention, but we need to know what the different states want to do. We can't stay here. I think there are fear from some states to lose the sovereignty. But what sovereignty are we speaking? Because at the world level, we can't speak with 27 voices. We don't count anything, so we have to speak with one voice. But the competencies proper to the state in a federal or quasi-federal state are of the states, so we have to respect this. I think that we have to clarify the mechanism. If they don't want to call it a federal state, we can call a confederate state. Switzerland is already a confederate state. Also, in fact, they are a federal one, but they call them confederate. So confederation is more clear. Also, I think there is a technical point which is very important. The shared competence in the European Union means that the European Union can decide what are its competencies and the rest leave to the states. I think that giving a competence to the European Union, the state should decide what are the part of the European Union, and the rest is of the state. So it can be acceptable, more acceptable, for example, on else. It's clear that we need a shared competence, but not all the else can be transferred to the European Union. So we have to improve the competencies, but having clear that what we leave to the states is untouchable from the European Union. You have been listening to the first part of a debate on European issues with MEPs and experts as part of the EU plus EU 2024 and beyond project that reviewed the big challenges and achievements of this legislature. Join us next week. I am Diana Petrescu. Thanks for listening. Focus on Romania.
You are listening to Radio Romania International. Next up in this broadcast, it's All That Jazz with me, Lecremiora Simeon. One of Romania's exceptional musicians was Sila Dinicu, a composer, conductor, pianist, and orchestrator, nephew by adoption of Grigoraj Dinicu, another outstanding artist. Vasile Dinicu, known as Sile Dinicu, was one of the most valuable conductors of bandstand and big band orchestras, the period in which he was active being considered emblematic in Romania. Let's first listen to Overture by Sile Dinicu, performed by the radio big band, conducted by the very Sile Dinicu. Sila Dinicu was born on December 10th, 1919, in Baku, in northeastern Romania, and died on January 7th, 1993, in Bucharest, at the age of 73. He was part of an old family of musicians on the paternal side, his great-grandfather conducting an orchestra in which all the members read sheet music, a rare thing at the time. He started studying music at the age of four with a violin, and at the age of five, it was clear that he preferred the piano, and he continued with it. Among his teachers was Theodor Fuchs, who also accompanied the great George Enescu. In 1930, the Dinicu family settled in Bucharest, where Sile attended high school. He then sang in various places until 1941, when he was hired by the famous actor Constantin Tanase in the orchestra of the Savoy Theatre. In 1947, he became part of the Romanian Radio Broadcasting Corporation, initially as a rotating pianist with Teodor Sibiciano, then as a conductor of the pop music or bandstand orchestra from 1951 until the end of the 80s. He thus made an essential contribution to the numerous musical and entertainment programs broadcast in Romania, 
to all editions of the National Pop Music Festival held over the decades in the Mamaya Seaside Resort, to the first editions of the Golden Stag International Festival in Brasov. He also made countless recordings on radio television and with the Electrocord label. Besides his various collaborations, Sila Liniku's career was linked to four ensembles, the Radio Bandstand Orchestra, the Mamaya Festival Orchestra, the Golden Stag Festival from Brasov and the Electrocord Orchestra. Among the most famous songs from his creation is Nights with the Moon in Bucharest. And we now invite you to listen to a relatively recent and extremely successful version of that song, thanks to the singer Anna Mardare, the American composer Dow Walter, the author of the orchestration, and to the Zaharescu, the conductor of the Jazz and Soul Strings Orchestra. It is the title track of the album released in December 2018. In the end of all that jazz today, listen to blues for Siledinicu, composed by Titel Popovic, who was very close to Siledinicu. Performing is the Titel Popovic Orchestra.
Living Romania. Hi there, I'm Ana Maria Popescu with a new show in the Music Time series, the segment that brings you new music and emerging artists on Radio Romania International. My guests this week are a very young indie outfit set up last year in Bucharest and calling themselves Get You. They visited Radio Romania International studio this week and told me a little about themselves, about the difficulties of being a young independent band in the Romanian music scene, but also about how these constraints have boosted their creativity and resilience. the show it's great to have you all here thank you for having having us us. hello i'm victor i uh, sing and play guitar i am daniel i am the bass player i'm david i play the drums i'm bukur and i play guitar as well and i back victor with vocals great to have you here let's start with the story of the band if you can walk me through it a little bit i used to be in a different band started with some of my friends they weren't really into music as much as me so i slowly just stopped seeing them and uh at some point last year about exactly a year ago i had the idea to record myself and uh, do a short album as an ep Mm -hmm. uh, where i play everything and uh, do my best to release it just because I wanted to do something special for my birthday. I didn't have really great expectations for it, but um, at some point it uh, sort of got somewhat popular with people who were interested in Romanian underground music and uh, people kept recommending me some talented musicians and now they're next to me and I'm glad I met them. (laughs) Uh, I met Victor at uh, Uzina Coffee Shop uh, by mistake. I went to a concert and uh, a friend told me, hey, you should check this out. This guy posted an EP and he may need some musicians, so you should talk to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went ahead and uh, I told him, hey, I'm Daniel. I play bass. I can play a lot of genres. I listed some. And he said, yeah, it's not necessary, but uh, we'll see. For now, I have a bass player. And a few a few days after, he contacted me and said, uh, "Let's go to rehearsals tomorrow." <laughs> and that's when uh, we met at a uh, rehearsal uh, place for three hours, and uh, we wrote the first song that came after the EP. And uh, yeah, I'll let the rest continue the story. You are listening to Radio Romania International. I was at Uzina as well with Daniel, and I met Victor there as well, but I didn't enter the band with Daniel. It took some time before I was I was ready to propose to Victor to enter the band, and he needed another guitarist, so mm-hmm. it was good, and that's kind of it, honestly. David? Um, I was the last one to enter the band. I met Victor at some concerts, but uh, we didn't really talk, and then one day we started talking, and I was like, hey, do you need a drummer? Uh, I could play drums for you. I I really like the EP, and mm-hmm. after a week or so, he just told me, "Yeah, let's go. Let's let's do this." Mm-hmm. 
How did you come up with the name for the band? I came up with it like three years ago and I proposed it to that former band I was in. Mm -hmm. They thought it was really goofy, so um, I just kept it for myself and it was sort of my solo name. And now it's not a solo name anymore. <laughs> I see. And it's a Weezer song. Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the name of a song. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily my favorite song or my favorite band. It's just I thought it sounded like a good name and mm -hmm. it was catchy enough. It had its own uh, sort of misspelling mm -hmm. so that you couldn't really confuse it for something else and Google us and get like a name like The Doors would have gotten you images of Doors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so you got together and you started playing and writing songs. How does this work? Who writes what? Who does the music? Who does the lyrics? So, uh, because he started a project, I think it's important to keep his essence in our songs. So usually he starts writing, writing something and uh, then we'll uh, get our parts together and write together, but he starts mm -hmm. the process. I've been listening to some of your songs online and what caught my attention on one of the platforms was that for each song you had a different hashtag or a different category like ambient or classical or alternative rock. So I guess my question is, what do you play? How would you define your genre, your style? Uh, well, on SoundCloud sp specifically, I just sort of released solo stuff that I came up with and uh -huh. wanted to be able to share easily mm -hmm. instead of just sending a file. And uh, at some point when I released the EP, I realized it would be sort of more professional to have it on bigger streaming platforms like Spotify and YouTube whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't also add the EP on the SoundCloud because one, I didn't think of it. Also, I couldn't really monetize it. And I sort of felt like it wouldn't be the best idea to just have it there mm -hmm. since it's already free on YouTube, if that was a problem. But yeah, um, we now play sort of indie rock, something post-punk. I'm not really good at genres, but I'm al always trying to sort of just uh, step outside the our genre. I'm always trying to do something that hasn't been just done to death. My SoundCloud solo stuff, it was easier to really get experimental because it was mostly fake m instruments. So it was just mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, sounds that I could do at home. Uh, live, we sort of have to stick to a rock guitar right now sound because, yeah, that's just what we can afford so far. But I really hope we can at some point maybe add some cooler sampling electronic stuff, mm -hmm. maybe get some keys. But yeah, this is just what uh, we could do right now. And I think that these limitations make us more creative overall. I see. This EP you mentioned, is it songs from the living room? Yes. Okay. So do you have anything, any albums released as a band so far? Uh, no, not yet. But we're going to start recording stuff soon. Uh, we really want to have something that really includes everyone. Mm -hmm. Because so far I've sort of felt bad mentioning that it's just me. When people know us as a band, then look mm -hmm. up uh, our stuff. But yeah, I really want to <laughs> include them because I sort of feel bad. And the song that is going to be released soon, I hope, <laughs> the new one, is going to be very different from um, everything that's on the EP. It was uh, the song we wrote at our first rehearsal. And uh, it's got a lot, a lot of requests after concerts, which we're happy about. So uh, we're going to start recording, hopefully, this year. Okay, that's yeah. great. The best of luck and looking forward to the album. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
These have been Victor, Daniel, David, and Bukur, the four members of the band Get You. Do check them out on streaming platforms and keep an eye out for their upcoming album, You Won't Regret It. Wrapping up music time today is their piece, Too Late. I'm Ana Maria Popescu, thanks for listening. Focus on Romania. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Welcome to Simply Folk with me, Eugen Nasta. You're invited to listen to Lydia Bejenaru performing Alack My Wretched Heart, an evergreen of Romanian traditional music. Și altul vine 
And with that, our broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa has come to an end. You can listen to our next programme for Western Europe at 1800 hours UTC on 11630 kHz in the DRM system. Listeners in Africa can receive our programmes tomorrow at 1200 hours UTC on 21470 kHz. We can also be heard on the internet at www.rri.ro channel 1. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write an email at engl at rri.ro. Goodbye.